I'm LZ Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. I was already in tears when I heard Rufus Wainwright's voice. The song The Maker Makes is on the soundtrack of the 2005 classic Brokeback Mountain and is heard at one of the more gut-wrenching moments in the movie. It's haunting, it's beautiful, and it communicates a level of heartache that many of us are aware of and don't want to relive. I hated Rufus for that song. I loved Rufus for that song. After hearing The Maker Makes, I was happy to discover I wasn't alone in my appreciation of them. From small town music festivals to the Sundance Film Festival, I've had the opportunity to see Rufus perform a lot over the years, including Carnegie Hall at his tribute to Judy Garland back in 2006. Rufus is doing a similar tribute to the gay icon entitled Rufus Does Judy at Capitol Studios, which streams June 10th on what would have been her 99th birthday. Now I know, Over the Rainbow is the classic, is the standard, but I personally can't wait to hear him sing Get Happy. That happens to be my jam. Come on, get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. We're going to the promised land. We met at a studio in LA to chat about our love of Judy Garland, his rightful place in LGBTQ history, and the challenges of raising a teen-year-old firecracker who is as rebellious as he is. But we begin our conversation the same way we begin all of our conversations at Life Out Loud, by asking Rufus when was the first time he became aware of something other than straight. Well, I I, um, I wouldn't say famously necessarily, but uh, definitely notoriously uh, came <laughs> out very young. I mean, I was uh, 13, uh, which at the time was quite unusual, you know, because this is in, so this was 1987, about, and uh, I didn't, I didn't announce it necessarily to my parents, because right at that time, um, you know, that was really when AIDS was in full throttle, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they were just uh, (laughs) ill-equipped to deal with the many (laughs) aspects that I was, uh, you know, going through, and uh, so I just sort of did it privately, but, um, uh, I did fall in love, you know, around when I was ten or nine with girls, and but it was always like me saving them from burning buildings and stuff, <laughs> you know, dressed as a marine or something, you know. And then I sort of became more interested in the other marine next to me, in the in well, my he fantasy. Didn't need saving, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of drop the girl down and then <laughs> disappear. But it was, uh, but it, yeah. So it was, it was around I'd say eleven when I, when when the shift occurred, and it was really thirteen when I started to, um, you know, experiment. So at 11, was this in a silo, or did you see something, read something, hear something Um, that clicked? Well, let's say, I mean, okay, look, I grew up in a bohemian uh, world. You know, both my parents uh, were singers. My father still is, and sadly my mother passed away. But um, it wasn't a gay, quote-unquote, gay world, uh, meaning, like, it wasn't Broadway or it wasn't the theater. It was more folk music, which is actually quite straight. So, um, but that being said, I think what really got me first was that uh, my mother had a friend 
this woman, Libby Titus, uh, who's still with us, who was in a amazing, she was married to um, Levon Helm from the band. And she was this rock and roll goddess. She had, uh, she's a very famous wit and, 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 uh, and, and, and was a great beauty. Anyways, and she was so charming and so funny. And she was very good friends with Carly Simon. She's best friends with Carly Simon. And they decided, my mother and her, to, do a, to try to do a musical about Edie Sedgwick. Uh, from you know the Andy Warhol factory days, so all of a sudden, like there were all these pictures from the factory uh, around the house, and uh, and, I, and of course, you know, then Joe D'Alessandro, you know, images of him and. And and you know uh, that whole. Are you world. trying to tell me your mama made you gay? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that goes without saying, um, and for all of us. But uh, but uh, but but yeah. So it was. I think it was. It was. It was. It was Andy Warhol made me gay. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. that makes sense. Mama Warhol. <laughs> so I think it was, that was the first real you know knowledge of that happening. And you said earlier that when you came out at 13, yeah. your parents weren't necessarily equipped to handle it. Yeah. Was it fear because that was the height of the AIDS epidemic, or was it something else? It was a combination of many factors. I mean, look, I mean, my dad, he was living in London at the time where it was still illegal. Uh, you know, so there were still sodomy laws on the books uh, in England back then. So. Here in the so, States, too. I yeah, mean, Texas I'm sure still many, had anti yeah, yeah, sodomy yeah, laws. Yeah. I think my dad. You know, he just did, what didn't quite know how to address it or how to. What he did is that he he kind of um, pawned me off to a friend of his called uh, whose name is Penny Arcade. I don't know who she is. She is like mm -hmm. a famous downtown New York um, performance artist, very influential. Actually, was part of the Warhol uh, scene. Um, anyways, and he just said, "Oh, you go hang out with Penny. <laughs> She'll tell you what to do." And, and and she was very she was very close with Quentin Crisp at the time. Really? So I okay. and, and and Jack Smith. He ferried me off to he kind of outsourced you to the gay queen. To the gay, yeah. Back. Which I think was a was it was it was a decent strategy. My mother, on the other hand, you know, we were much closer, um, and we definitely, you know, had this typical gay son mother relationship uh i you know we were each other's apples of each other's eyes and uh but but she had a very adverse reaction both through fear of aids but also i think even though she wasn't religious she had been you know brought brought up in the catholic church and and there was a lot of you know stigma obviously attached to that and she was worried about my um my you know reputation and and uh so she was she was tough uh, at the outset and she sadly passed away about 10 years ago and we and we were always close but she always had a little you know she was never totally uh okay with it totally but uh, but she accepted it so your mother passes away 10 years ago yes you have a daughter that yes. is 10 years old yes um did have an opportunity to meet? They never met. No, actually, my my daughter was born a year to the day that my mother was buried, <laughs> which is interesting. So, we didn't plan that or anything. But uh, so they never got to meet. But um, but she knew of of her you know impending arrival, uh, and uh, and there certainly is a lot of um, traits that that my daughter shares with my mother mother and and I think such my, as what. Well, they're very look. I, I've always had incredibly strong and somewhat difficult women in my life. <laughs> I'm 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 attracted to that. I I, I like the rebellious type, and uh, so so. And now I'm you know 
I'm faced with the ultimate challenge, which is to bring one of those girls up. It's one thing to hang out with them at nightclubs. It's another thing to like, you know, bring them to school every morning. So, yeah, it's 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 great. She's also very um, creative, very um, opinionated, and also very beautiful, um, and um, and very loving too. You know, very emotional. I guess that's the emotional, you know, side that I'm attracted to. Is that why you love Judy Garland so much? <laughs> because of that same sort of rebellious energy? Yeah, you know, I, I, there's definitely a kind of, it's interesting because I, I have um, this, this good friend now, his name is Sid Croft, and he was a, from Sid and Marty Croft, he's, a, he's 93 or something, but he knew Judy quite well. He actually toured with her a lot um, in the 50s. And he and I, I trust his sort of um, opinion the most in terms of who Judy was, more than anyone's, because uh, he really knew her as a friend. And she was a total rebel, uh, total rock and roll, loved dirty jokes, and was not at all, was no shrinking violet. And the, uh, the headline said, uh, Judy Garland arrives in London, and she's not chubby, and she's not plump, she's fat. A terrible girl. That's a miserable thing to do after all that time taking her to a hotel. What did he tell you that was, it was hard for you to believe that Judy would have said or done that? Well, he told me a great story that I thought was so hilarious. There was, some, there was a story, apparently, she used to love like really gruesome tales, like really, you know, sick uh, uh, stories where, and there was one where that she loved where um, there had been some horrible train wreck in France and there were these two two train lines, like one going one way, one going the other and there was this crash and they had all these people that died and stuff and so they took all the survivors and they put them on the side of the tracks but they put them on the other tracks and another train came <laughs> going no. the other direction and killed them all. <laughs> Yeah, well, whatever. Apparently, and that was one of her like favorite stories. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dorothy, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So that anyway. is so terrible, but that does sort of crystallize, you know, the rebellion that you talk about in yeah, the edge. Yeah. Is that why she was, remains, and probably always yeah. will be a gay icon? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, look, she's she's certainly not the gay icon that she was for for our younger gays. I do feel that, nonetheless, her kind of her legacy and her kind of um, her, her her repertoire and 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 her recordings and stuff they have stood the test of time uh, in, in terms of just being great on their own, you know, and and. I think she's actually probably more um, appreciated by a wider audience now, you know, in a more holistic way, you know, especially I think with women now with, you know, Me Too, you know, she's she was one of the the early pioneers of 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 someone who was, you know, outspoken and really um you know, one of the early victims of 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 what the, you know, the Hollywood system Absolutely. can do right. can do to women. And so so and she was a survivor of that and then yeah so i think she's i think she's more become like a 
just a symbol of survival in general, maybe not as coveted by the gays as she was before, but um, but I don't know. I, I the, the things come in waves too, so, so so there could be another wave on the horizon. <laughs> Think about your beginnings, and your debut album was released about twenty years ago. Yeah, you look today, Little Nas X has the number one single yeah, of all time. Yeah, yeah. Take my horse to the old town road, I'm gonna... You know, we have Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah. Think do, like Where do you see yourself yeah. in the story of LGBTQ yeah. artists as it pertains yeah. to the level of yeah, well, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, there was not so much right now at the moment, but there have been periods where I've really gone in on this subject in the sense that uh, that there were at one point there was some, uh, I think it was Frontiers magazine or something. They they put out an article saying that like Adam Lambert was the first out kind of artist on a major label or something and I was like wait a minute <laughs> I was out tw- like 10 years before him you know uh, at least and uh, you know I was on the cover of Out magazine you know when I when my first album came out and I really kind of took them to task and and I have been quite vocal occasionally on just setting the record gay <laughs> technically I am actually the second kind of um, out gay musician uh, to be on a major label. And the first, because and the first was this guy, artist named Jabriath, who was, who was uh, that, that, this was in the 70s, and, uh, and it was after uh, David Bowie that had has his success, and I think, I don't know what label it was, mm-hmm. uh, decided to kind of promote this new artist, Jabriath, as gay, as part of like this part of this, you know, androgynous kind of like right. 70s glam rock thing. So I'm an elegant man, I'm a man. Clara bows and open toes are what I am. They realized it wasn't gonna, you know, skyrocket it. They kind of abandoned him and it's a very tragic story actually. He ended up singing uh, you know, Judy Garland show tunes in some bar, you know, and, and, and died. And then came me, who was the second sort of out gay artist on a huge major label who survived. <laughs> you know, who even I didn't necessarily, be, you know, go to the top of the charts or anything. Not but yet. I, but yeah, not yet, not yet. <laughs> but not I, but done. I made an impact and I remained, you know, and I flourished and I was, and I was always true to my, um, to myself. And, uh, and then came Adam Lambert. You know? So, so, so I, I have had to sort of go in and school a little bit in that, in that department on what 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 actually occurred. I think what the, the difference is with me, which is interesting, is that I, I, you know, told my record company DreamWorks at the time. In fact, it was the first thing I told them. You know, I sat down with the with Mo Austin and Lenny Warnker, who were huge, you know, figures at the time, and. Um, and I, the first thing I said, I said, "Look, I'm gay. I'm not hiding it, and we just have to accept that and move on." And and my main, and it's funny because my main objective was not necessarily to fight for gay rights. It wasn't that actually. It was mostly that I was afraid of AIDS, and I didn't want to go through like a Rock Hudson situation where like if I got sick and if I was dying, I'd have to pretend or something. You know, right. you know that to me was just sort of this hellish. 
scenario that I wanted to avoid. So anyway, so and they accepted that condition, and then you know we were off to the races. And I, but then I didn't necessarily. I mean, look, I sang songs about certain boys. There was a, a big attempt to uh, market me to a gay audience at times. And it didn't really work necessarily. I mean, my I think they thought like, oh, if we tell the young girls that he's gay, they'll, you know, they right. won't be interested. It turned out to be the opposite. Uh, they were actually more drawn to me because it wasn't, it isn't always about sex for them at that age. You know, it's more, it, it's it's like a male, I think they, they were relieved to have, you know, someone that they could, you know, uh, uh, relate to and not be you know uh, kind of scared of right. <laughs> a little bit so 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 that worked really well also yeah and so you know it kept going and um no i didn't you know blast off into the you know lady gaga territory but do you think you would have if you were closeted i do feel that if i had played the game a little more um subtly in the sense maybe created a persona that was uh, not asexual, but like perhaps bisexual, and I could have maybe been more promoted mm-hmm. by MTV and VH1 at that time. I think that the, I think I think that me being very honest, it wasn't so much the fans that cared, but but it was really the um, the the labels and the TV stations that were that were you know dodgy and. Uh, I do think I, 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 I took a few hits, you know, uh, along the way. But that being said, my fan base is it remained, you know, and I think that my being so honest at the outset, they really appreciated that, and they, and they, and they clocked that, you, you know. know it's, it's so funny. Um, you know, I spent a great deal of my career, especially early on, trying to break into sports. I'm yeah. very, very passionate about sports, and like you, openly gay from the very first day of my professional career. No one had the question. I told them right off the bat in every yeah. interview. And for a long time, I wrestled with knowing what it had done to my career. Yeah. But even though I still obviously work at ESPN, has been every major sporting event basically, yeah. I can still look outside of my life, my bubble, my ecosystem, and go, yeah. I probably could have been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I came out, I'm here. Yeah. And finding peace with that. Yeah, yeah. You, have you, you have peace with yeah, that? Yeah, I have peace with that. I mean, look, first first of all, I mean, I when my first record came out, I, thankfully, I was really celebrated by, you know, huge pop stars. I mean, whether it was Elton John or Michael Stipe, there was this gathering, you know, in the, in the ether mm-hmm. <laughs> of, like, these huge figures who really... Um, knew that there was something going on here musically. Almost living vicariously through. Yeah, me. yeah, and I and so therefore I, I I came into contact with all that stuff, and I did witness. I mean, yes, it was very seductive. It was very exciting, um, and I certainly you know lucrative, but but there's also a darkness there that I've dodged. There's a bullet I did not have to take. You know, what did that bullet get look hit? Like? What you, well, what just like bullet? loss of your privacy. You know, being hounded all the time, turning into this cash cow for you know an army of of assistants. You know, it's sort of you know there's a sad. I, I in retrospect, I feel like a lot of that was probably probably would not have been good for me especially in the state I was at that time because I was you know doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot so I was sort of if I had sort of been tipped over into the fame pl- 
puddle. <laughs> you know, it would have. I don't think it would have been a pretty picture. So, so, but, but, but what's funny though is that all the ones that I mentioned, Elton, uh, Michael Stipe, they, that, that was their strategy that that I didn't take on, which was they never uh, came out at the outset. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. release. First of all, I just love your music, period. Oh, As I you. told you, I've sat in a bar, beer soaked floor, and watched it for like two hours in Utah. Utah! Just so you know, I can't. Um, what was it like trying to create new music during this pandemic and all the other aspects of your life being impacted by it? Whether it's now that I'm, I have a a child that can't right. go to school and right, I'm right, right, teaching right. at home yeah. and I'm doing this and I'm doing yeah. that. What was that process like for you? You know, I am a consummate optimist um, for better or for worse, frankly. And uh, and the, when I, on first glance, I'm always like, it, this was an incredibly positive period for me, artistically. I, I had I needed the time to work on some things. I ended up recording, you know, doing, I did a lot of shows from my living room, which was amazing. It was amazing. I got to go through my catalog. I got to write a bunch of songs. I got to start working on some musicals that are, that are now going to, you know, hopefully be produced soon. Um, so I, I dove really far in out to this, uh, period, uh, with, with, you know, with purpose. Um, that being said, <laughs> um, I then think, Oh no, it's been it's been it's been really really difficult um on you know for you know being a dad having um you know witnessing what 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 our daughter had to go through you know with 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 going being pulled out of school and and then uh and not being able to hang out with her friends and stuff though though we had some great times as well but that that is harder than I kind of wanted to admit I think also just the moments of extreme fear occasionally when you're like, oh my God, I could get really sick and die, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and be, you know, alone in a room with, you know, plastic all over me, you know, it's right. like, you know, so, so, and the, there were some terror moments also, you know, around the Black Lives Matter time, which was an amazing time in, here and, and which was ostensibly a positive time. Um, there were moments where I was like, oh my God, I, is, is the world going to descend into, <laughs> you know, civil war and, and, uh, especially in Los Angeles, cause it's sort of. It's so dystopian, anyways. You right. know, you know, with Sunset Boulevard, even the way it looks, you know, every morning, it's so like, what's going on with this right. planet? But, but that being said, I, I, I essentially uh, did take advantage of the situation in a very positive way, and I will say, uh, 
this period was was on the whole a, a good one for me. So I too um, have a child, though he's more of a roommate now. <laughs> Twenty four, um, moved back in with us during the quarantine. Right. He was living in New York, graduated yeah. from NYU. I did not want him on the other side of the country. Right, right. Um, during this time period, but it also allowed me to sort of reflect on the journey that we've had thus far. And one of the things I started to question and almost regret was not being intentional in building relationships with other same-sex people who had children. Right. And building community that way. He grew up in a very much hetero world. Right. And I was like just a gay co-star, right? Or guest star, if you will. Yeah, yeah. How are you raising your daughter? Are you being intentional in terms of who she is exposed to? Are you letting it happen organically? Yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, being a parent is is so challenging (laughs) for everybody, uh, for every parent, and especially today, I think, with all of the kind of um, just the revolutions occurring in terms of, you know, technology and... and, uh, and, and whether, you know, kids know so much today. It's this, it's this real Herculean task at the moment, bringing up kids. And, um, and you know, we have certain friends who have children um, who are gay. I will, you know, one thing that's been really fabulous is that my daughter, our daughter, has been incredibly vocal at her school about, you know, the fact that she has two dads. She also has a mom. I mean, we share custody with her mom. So, 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 but she's, and there have been a couple of instances where, where other kids her age have, have, you know, really, yeah, said homophobic things and, and she will completely, you know, go to bat for us and, and stand up for us and, and really, and and is just unequivocal in her support of, of, and and her understanding of what, who we are. So I think a, a lot now, especially a lot of the stuff is, the burden has fallen on the shoulders of the children. <laughs> and um, for better or for worse, we have to kind of follow their lead in a lot of ways at the moment. I don't think it was the same years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think, uh, but but now there's just so much information out there. And the kids are, are learning so much uh, from so many different angles that, you you know, they, they know more about certain subjects than I do. I know. Um, Scary. And, you know, and, and have a fundamental understanding. Like, for instance, a lot of things with trans rights and you know how to call what what how people are identified like my daughter understands it much better than i do and she's 10. (laughs) my son read me so thoroughly and then walked out of the room one day that i was just like what just happened (laughs) because um he's very creative and as i mentioned earlier you know he went to college in new york was staying in new york um has a really big sort of new york life right and with that, I was having a hard time trying to figure out if he was gay or straight. Right, right, right. Because right. I just never knew what he was going to wear. Yeah. I never knew who was coming through the door. And I just wanted him to know that regardless, whatever, yeah. however you identify, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought that yeah. was important for him to know. So I approached him with like this big heart so that he wouldn't feel weird or anything like yeah. that. And he says, oh, why would you think I was gay? And I was like, well, you know, sometimes we'll blind. He just looked at me really dead. You too. Gender norms, still. Uh, I know, I know. And I was I just know. like, 
did he just read me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, thought I was yeah. doing an ABC family yeah, special, yeah, yeah, and he yeah, was just like going, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. And it is, because it is, I mean, what I think is important now, as in terms of, you know, when I was coming out, where it was really, you know, there were, as you said, there were laws, there was AIDS was, you know, killing everybody. I mean, it was like, we were under threat in a major way. Now I feel it's more about relating to what's going on in places like Russia or mm -hmm. Iran, you know, where gay men are being, you know, murdered and, 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 and uh, imprisoned. And it's, it's more of like a worldwide brotherhood. Uh, I'll say that, you know, from my perspective. And, uh, and that we have to be, become more, we have to evolve into more about, you know, what's going on in the, in the rest of the world. Um, and, and that's, and that I, that I think sometimes is not, um, expressed enough in in sort of gay culture gay gay media gay culture in the united states you know there's always this you know whether it was gay marriage or or gay or or, or adoption which is all which are all really important elements mm -hmm. and 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 should be fought for and should be you but know we have brothers who are just trying to live yeah yeah but right? yeah but there's stuff going on i mean this with this kid you know who was recently beheaded in iran mm -hmm. and, and and also you know trans rights i think are also very important just in general in, in america too how has because you talked about the evolution of queer culture over the yeah. years how has that informed your songwriting yeah. and the lyrics yeah. of your musicals? Yeah. And yeah. do you see yourself yeah. diving into yeah. more of a global perspective of our issues yeah. through your art? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I can't get too into it at the moment. Oh, is there a secret you want to tell us? But there is a project that I'm that I'm working on. That it's it, it is for the theater. It's a it's a it's a musical, and I I just I have, but it, it will touch on qu quite heavily on on the. Um, on the east, uh, on the eastern bloc of uh, of the world, or the the ex Soviet Union, and 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 being gay in that part of the world, and how difficult it is, and that's all I can say <laughs> uh, at the moment. But I but I I am starting to think a lot about that. This is sort of the the flip side is that I still believe strongly in in, in gay history and gay culture and gay, you know, I, I, my greatest heroes are. People like Jean Cocteau and Oscar Wilde and and uh, and 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 I have and I will tell any young gay person, um, no matter where you come from or what race you are or, or, or how you identify, you have to you do should dive back into the history of what it was to be gay um, and and how those people survived and how those people flourished and how those people created the greatest art on planet earth, you know, arguably, whether it's Michelangelo or, you know, and, and, and I don't want that story to get, I'm very, I'm very attached to that story as well. And, and I believe fighting for that as well. So, so it's a kind of combination. Well, that is actually the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast yeah. to capture our history, to yeah. make sure that it wasn't lost that these stories, your story, yeah. story of like Sherry Cola and yeah, Stephen yeah, Canals and yeah, everyone else yeah, who's in our yeah. you know first season, that these stories are held. But do you believe the new generation, the younger mm -hmm. generations, do they value the lessons yeah. in those stories, or do you feel the, as if there's, you're, what you're yeah. saying falls on deaf ears? Well, the one, I mean, the, I think some do. Um, the one, the major fear that I have is that commercial commercialism takes over. You know, when you go to the gay pride marches and there's, you know, 
slap a rainbow on it. Yeah, the <laughs> rainbow, and there's you know, sort of becomes this branding thing, which which uh, which I, I've always found odious. Um, and uh, so that's why I loved I loved how I, I think it was this year the gay pride parade became a Black Lives Matter march. That was definitely last uh, year. Last year, yeah. Last year, I was there. Yeah, yeah. and I was. It was the first time in a very long time that I didn't feel like I needed to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, that like, must have been amazing. In my writing, um, in my commentary on air, it feels as if I'm brought in to represent a community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While also being very much aware of the intersectionality of my own life. Yeah, yeah. And last year in that parade was the first time in a while in which I didn't have to think Am I gay today? Am I black today? Right, Am I? Right, right, I can right. just be. Yeah, yeah, that must have been fantastic. That must have been great. Ten years from now, when you think about our community, whether it's globally or domestically, what does living a life out loud look like to you? Yeah. Well, I think. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, ten years from now. Um, well, well, first I, of all, you have you a twenty-year-old. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel personally that the greatest challenge that lies ahead for everybody is is the environment. I mean, that's that that for hmm. me. You know, that for me is the great equalizer. You know, once the water starts running out and the fires are burning everything and you know, and there's you know these food shortages and and Judy you know, Garland, calm down. You know, I know, you I know, I know. It's going to be like we got to all come together, no matter who we are or what we are. So I feel that that there will be personally. I feel that there will be with this environmental thing. There'll there'll be conditions laid upon us that will force humanity to uh, you mm. know lay down their arms. Um, and, you still and, believe that even after what we just witnessed during the pandemic, where people didn't want to put on a mask to save someone's grandmother yeah yeah uh well no i i but i think i think i think well you know i know you're the internal here i i eternal optimist there we go <laughs> but but i do think that um the, yeah we're at a speaking of intersectionality <laughs> between religion you know the collapse of the environment and like human rights mm -hmm. and racial you know uh, reckonings you know we're really we're either going to totally get destroyed or be totally much better. So I think we're I think we're at the precipice. So so I right. and I'm gonna, and being the optimist, I think we'll be better. I can't wait to see that musical. Yeah. <laughs> Rufus Rainwright, thank you so much for your time, your brilliance, thank you. your commitment to our community. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Great, my my pleasure. On the next episode of Life Out Loud, we speak with a pair of incredible trailblazers. I, I mean, I've worked with HIV for 40 years, and I think we've had some significant successes. Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Rachel Levine, the first openly transgender person to be confirmed by the Senate in American history. You know, I, I think that, that fear holds us back. Uh, fear of the unknown, fear of negativity, fear of negative reactions. And, and I think to tell myself to continue to live my life without fear and that things will be okay. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio produced by Trevor Hastings. Thanks to senior producers Tony Morrison and Robert Cepeda. What's up, boys? Associate producers are David Toledo and Madeline Wood. 
The executive producers of Life Out Loud are Eric Johnson and Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Mark Anthony Harris Gardner, John Haworth, Kieran McGurl, Elena Genovese Picard, Joel Lyons, Jonathan Fagg, Joyita Bizras, and the Pride ABC and Own Television Stations Employee Resource Group. And a big shout out to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, Ali Yang, Hal Arnal Thiel, Brian Choi, and Stacia Dushisku. I'm LZ Granison. Girl, wasn't that good? <laughs>